Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. Um, this is a platform often. This podcast is for my passions. And when I have a certain passion I'm drawn to, or people are drawn to me that have a similar passion, this seems to be some sort of like cosmic quantum effect. And such is the case where I met my guest today, Thea Wood. Thea is the uh, executive director and founder of Horizon Music Foundation. And the Horizon Music Foundation is all about merit-based success and equal opportunity for uh, women in the music industry. So not necessarily just as artists even, but in any aspect of the music industry. And um, I'm a big, I'm a feminist and, I'm, and I love music and I love activists. And, um, and we, I'm sure we, Thea, we have other things in common, but we'll start there. Excellent. Well, Justin, thank you so much for the introduction. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Um, I'm curious, before we um, dig into the topic um, of, of women, women in the music business, is what was the, when was the initial spark moment where you're like, I'm going to start a foundation? <laughs> Good question. Actually, it was in 2018, late fall. I was uh, at the Joan Jett documentary film uh, called Bad Reputation. And I walked out feeling all this girl power and she's so amazing and cool. And she came overcame all these obstacles. So I decided to write an article for a magazine I was publishing at the time called She Spark, which was for women over 40. And it was titled Three Lessons I Learned from Joan Jett. And as I was researching her story, I thought, well, hmm, all the things that happened to her in the 70s and the 80s, you know, let's let's see what's happening today, right? To give a then and now kind of a comparison. And Justin, mm -hmm. I was really disappointed to find that the needle really hasn't moved much for women in the music industry as far as uh, representation, as far as um, stigmas and uh thinking you know we all think of music as the great uniter and it brings joy and happiness but it is a business it's a very cutthroat business and it historically and today is still very male dominated so um mm -hmm. you know part of our mission at horizon music is also spreading awareness that this is going on and that was the kind of initial thought of starting the foundation is spreading awareness about the state of women in music and also giving them a voice so that mm -hmm. uh, we can learn more of their stories and the next generation can see it so they can be it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What a beautiful, what a beautiful vision and important. Um, well, that let's just dig into the, this topic of, of women in the music business. And I'm going to come out of the gate with a, you know, gentle light question, <laughs> which is why is there, why do you think there is so much misogyny in the music business still? Um, and I use misogyny on purpose here. I don't think it's just sexism. I think it's a type of exploitation, which is what misogyny is, is the exploitation, exploitation of, of women. And, um, and I, that's what I see now I'm an outsider, but I know a lot of people that are women in the music business. And this is a common thing. It's like, I say to people that people that are like, well, women, men and women are equal. And, um, or, or what, especially when it comes to like sexual harassment or sexual abuse, because I don't know, I don't know a woman in my life. And I know tens of thousands of women that hasn't been sexually, um, sexually harassed at least. And so that's misogyny, and it comes with some sort of denialism that 
it is merit-based and we're all equal and a bunch of other horse shit. So why do you think misogyny is so prevalent in the music business? Oh, that is a loaded question. Thanks for starting so light today, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) This is baptism by hellfire, isn't it? Uh, No, seriously, um, because it is a serious topic. I think the number one issue is accountability. Uh, There isn't any. And uh, if it is, it's very fleeting. Uh, it's it's just like in any other form of entertainment where you see, oh, there's a big ruckus in the media and everybody runs and suddenly there's a hashtag and it's it trends for a week and then it disappears. And then the people who were guilty of the crimes and the wrongdoings uh, suddenly are back on top winning awards, selling out tours. And, you know, right. there, there's absolutely no consequence for actions. Okay. That's a big big part of it. The second part of it too, is that the, when the women do come forward, there are two issues that they face with fear and justifiably. So number one, retribution. Uh, It is unbelievable Mm -hmm. how cruel fans of the uh, men can be to the women who are victims. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, a perfect example was Megan Thee Stallion, who uh, was just raked over the coals after she went to court because she was shot in the foot by another rapper because he was mad at her. And right. um, suddenly it became the victim blaming. Well, she shouldn't have said this. She shouldn't have done that. No, he should not have shot her in the foot, period. Right. right? Yeah. Um, so it, it, so you have that going on. And then... Um, you know, the, that second thing of being a victim again happens in courts. It happens in the news. It happens everywhere. Well, how was she dressed? Oh, look at the content of her songs. Look at, you know, it's, again, it's always leading toward, um, you know, not the person who actually committed the crime, but almost like she asked for it, which of course, nobody asked for that. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it, yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's a microcosm or it's not really micro because it's a huge industry, but you know, it's a subset of a deeper problem that we have that to me is around power dynamics. And the more power you have and the more insulated you are with that power, the less aware you are of exploitation of being an exploitative person, being an asshole, because there's so many people and you look at like Harvey Weinstein was able to have, you know, this horrific abuser was able to maintain that because of some of those things that you that you talked about and it's interesting to me too is that this misogyny is um for people that claim to love music and love art which is into its nature creative energy is feminine energy it's just so baffling to me but that's why i think it's to do with power and so I don't know, and you 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 could enlighten me and others that don't know this too. Is that you know I know what I know what like Dr. Dre did and Jay Z did for like music producing for uh, black musicians, um, you know, think in recent times and uh, and what it did to create inroads or uh, Damon Johns and Fubu and what he did for black entrepreneurs. I'm curious as a subset of this question about misogyny in the music businesses, who is that? Who is who is the most powerful woman in music right now, or who some who are some of the power players? I know this wasn't in the questions I sent you, but I thought you might have an answer to an example of someone that could actually, you know, fuck shit up. 
Boy, um, you know, somebody who I've met who's extremely vocal and walks the walk and talks the talk is music producer Linda Perry. Uh, she was the mm. founder of Four Non Blondes. She is a songwriter as well and um, has written songs for Pink and for Christina Aguilera, many others. Uh, mm -hmm. She has a studio and uh, held, also started a nonprofit called Equalize Her. And she looks a lot toward also the technical side of the business for women. So audio engineers, music producers, mm -hmm. techs, et cetera. And, um, you know, she she's very outspoken about, ex, outspoken about the gender parity that exists with, you know, the representation of women on the music side. And, uh, and she does have the clout, the talent, and everybody looks at the talent. Well, is she talented enough to be able to say this? You know what I mean? Like it matters. It's like, yeah. we should still, no matter what our talent level may be, we still are human right. beings. Right. Um, but she has the talent. She's got the clout. She's got, um, she's got the personality, I think, right. to really push the needle forward. So right. I look to somebody like Linda, um, but you lately have a lot of folks uh, speaking out who like Reba McIntyre, where yeah. the, the country music industry has actually gone backward in the past yeah. 10 years, as far as female representation. In fact, it was, I believe December, was it 2018 or 2019, where for the first time in the history of billboard charts, the country music top 10 did not have any female acts right. represented. I mean, that's, right. That's unbelievable. 50% of streamers, 50% of ticket buyers are female. How is our voice right. not being included in the mix? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting too, is that you take, um, you know, I think of, um, you go back 30 years. So Madonna um, or more recently Lady Gaga and Pink. Um, but they, as far as I know, they haven't leveraged. I mean, they're very feminist, very pro-woman, very vocal. You know, they'll call bullshit. But I don't know that they've leveraged that to get to actually get into the business of music in the sense of, you know, starting a record label. The one music person that I know that's a what's on the you know non-artist side that is the most vocal about this actually is Rick Rubin, the uh, the, the, the the you know the amazing music producer, and he's he's very vocal about this disparity. And just for clarity to the audience, here's some numbers for you to consider: um, between 2013 and 2018, only nine percent of of Grammy nominees nominees, not just winners, nominees were women. Of the 600 most popular songs from 2012 to 2017, 12% of them were female songwriters. And then you can go on down to like the stat that you shared. So that kind of leads into the next question is that the market, unfortunately, this is a combination of power dynamics and market dynamics. That, and market dynamics play out um, around like social conditioning and biases. So what are some current or long-term social conditionings or biases that the market has about women artists. Oof, and it's and it, it's partially market, but it's also partially the narrative that the industry pushes to the market, right? Right. So, That's that combination of yeah, power dynamic, market dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, telling the market this is what you do or do not want. So, um, you spoke of Madonna. Madonna is actually a huge name in this right now about ageism and how everybody went crazy over her. Um, speech that she gave at the Grammys this year and her uh, what she looked like. And, um, and I mean, men and women alike, 
were stepping up and being quite vocal about how they thought she wasn't aging or looking how they should think she should, right? Um, not aging gracefully. How can she be a feminist when she's doing things to her face and she's doing this and she's doing that? So age is the number is is one of the top four that that we have kind of narrowed it down to at Horizon Music. Appearance, okay? And appearance can be skin color, weight, um, you know, maybe clear skin, maybe it, it, how tall you are, whatever it may be, your appearance, uh, is something that, you know, video killed the radio star. Hello. You know, there is a brand, there is something that, uh, the record labels feel that they can push on the market and, um, appearance is a huge part of that. Also, uh, familial orientation, familial status, excuse me, I say, because I'm here to tell you right now, um, as soon as women decide that they want to have families, there is an overwhelming uh, feeling within the group that they then have to choose between having a music career and motherhood. Perfect example. I was at, I led a panel. Um, I was, well, excuse me, this was at a panel that I was speaking on uh, where one of the women spoke up and said that she actually left the music business because her, her childcare costs were higher than the get money she was bringing in from her gigs. Right. Yeah. Right. And most of these gigs are at night, you know, not when the kids yeah. are in school. <laughs> uh, so that's a huge problem. And then the fourth thing, of course, is orientation. I mean, if you have a lesbian woman coming in with pop music, uh, you've got a lot of executives out there who are thinking, but you don't have the sex appeal to the men or to right. A, B, and C that, you know, you should yeah. have. So um, yeah. those come out. And then I would also like to um, speak to, this is kind of a fifth one, um, okay. not social, but going back to the sexual harassment and assault, a recent study came out that said, and this was an anonymous study, but you know, people are still afraid of retribution. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people still lie, but um, the study said of the thousand women in the music industry that were polled or surveyed, 67% said that they had been sexually harassed or assaulted at work. 67% mm. admitted oh. it. Okay. Yeah, the women right. I talk to say it's probably closer to 90% and right. your chances of being sexually harassed. It's not an, if it's a, when based on how right. long you've been in the industry. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So again, this goes back to power dynamics and market dynamics. And one of the things too, is you see this, you see this in general with artists where they're like um, this sort of shut up and play um, that your job is to entertain me. Um, and I love the, like the pushback that I'll use male artists because I'm thinking about this in particular, like Jason Isbell and BJ Barham from American Aquarium. Uh, two of them come to mind, Cody Canada. Uh, a Texas-based singer. He has. They all have songs about the market and people saying you just shut up and play. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that because in general, um, uh, women are more socially conscious, more socially aware of inequity, more socially aware of um, you know systemic injustice. And if you're an artist, you write about what you know and you've experienced. And I think that I, I I go back to the backlash against now what are called the chicks, but back then the Dixie chicks, when they, when they, they said something negative about the United States and the war in Iraq and 
the the backlash and it's interesting too is that i find i don't know any record executives but i i, I have this observation that they're very cowardly people because and i think this is true of a lot of executives and here's where i'm going with this in the map of consciousness by david hawkins the middle is courage that's the middle i and when i was i give a talk called the art of unfinishing i was trying to come up with business examples which music business is included in that of people with courage that are in executive positions very very rarely did you find someone and so what that happens and you see this now with bud light in the um that they, they used a influencer that's a trans person and the backlash right. from, from you know the bubba backlash has been it's been gross and it's just like it's this overall thing of of stay in your lane and i think if you're a dude, if you're a straight, straight dude, then your lane is very wide. And if you're a woman, especially if you're a, a woman of color or an LGBTQT woman, you will, you, your lane is very narrow. Mm-hmm. And the, and, and then the, because the market, the, the executives are a bunch of cowards, they're not going to, uh, they don't want, and they don't want to disrupt it. So they, they do this. I think there's another thing here too, is this general view and this goes back to misogyny that women are here for the entertainment and enjoyment of men i think it's so deeply permanent permeates um sexuality um especially heterosexuality i think it so deeply permeates social conditioning related to appearance and that to me is another driving factor about why you know, why this, you know, back to the first question, but also these current biases that, that affect uh, women in business. Two things uh, come to mind on that and all very, very good points. Uh, first of all, both the men and the women are exploited for sure. Uh, the men just have more, seem to have more power against it. And uh, especially yeah. with audiences, right? Audiences are more forgiving, mm-hmm. like I said, tend to look it over. Perfect example, uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, Around the same time that the chicks, then the Dixie chicks got so much backlash for their comments about President Bush and and the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, Pearl Jam was also speaking out against it. Right. But Mm -hmm. and they were very public in what they thought about things when they were on stage and they got backlash, too. It's Mm -hmm. just that they didn't see the backlash on the radio stations and, you know, and on those public levels, the way that the Dixie chicks or the chicks did. Um, Secondly, uh, the chicks, I don't know if you saw their tour this past year, but you know, they got in trouble for speaking out on stage, right? Well, I I went, (laughs) I went to their uh, tour this summer and they didn't say anything about politics, but well, with the exception of some of the things that are in their lyrics, but what yeah. I loved was the imagery that they showed. So they didn't say yeah. anything, but the imagery was extremely political, was extremely, uh, I'll say, very a lot of social commentary, speaking a lot to the people who they think should be held accountable for anti-women, I'll call it the anti-women movement, you know, restricting yes. our rights and our things. So mm-hmm. interesting, they didn't say anything but the imagery was there. And can we talk a little bit about aesthetic force? Yeah, please. Okay. So for people who don't know what aesthetic force is, uh, the definition of it is the role of imagery 
in creating change. Okay. So like during wartime, we might call it propaganda where you have the posters, you know, that build up your army and, you know, make the other armies look like, you know, the villains, that kind of thing. Well, the most uh, kind of egregious, I guess, example of aesthetic force was actually used by Hitler. And what he did uh, as World War II was mounting, uh, he created what was called the Degenerate Art Exhibit in Berlin. And he pulled together all these surrealist artists, some Jewish, some communists, some, you know, they were kind of all over the map, but he kind of lumped them into being Jewish. And basically uh, what he did, how he promoted this exhibit was, you know, these people are insane. And anybody who thinks that the sky is, who paints the sky green and paints grass blue should be murdered, should be killed. Okay. And he said that. Now, of course, he alluded to most of these were Jewish people, which not all of these artists were, but he was using art as a way to denigrate these groups. Mm -hmm. It was the most attended art exhibit in the history of the country. Mm. Okay. The most popular by far. He used art to spread this message. Now, you can also look at it this is my new thing, is aesthetic force by omission. Okay. So the equivalent of this is having an art exhibit where there are no female artists. Mm -hmm. Having a music festival where there are no women on stage. Okay. So that isn't just imagery, it's sound, right? But what does it say to the audience about women? They don't belong there. Right. 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 That's what it says. So that is what I call aesthetic force by omission, by saying, wow. by showing that they're not on stage. Well, what's the problem? Why should they be there? They're fine. Yeah. There's no reason for yeah. that. Right. And I would say within that, I'm curious, is like the selection deeming what is worthy of, of being released, you know, this is why I don't necessarily like her music from a stylistic standpoint, but I'm a huge supporter of Taylor Swift because mm-hmm. she writes about whatever she wants to write about. And there yeah. isn't this, she, there's not this, there's this refusal to participate in the idea that, that they, that she is there to entertain men, you know, for, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. It's so, that's so. And with Taylor Swift for years, they tried to get her to be socially active and politically active, and she totally stayed away from it. And then finally, when she did decide she was ready to do so, guess what? Nobody liked what she had to say. That's right. Yeah. I won't say nobody, but a lot of people, a lot of people did not. At that point, she had power though, in the sense of like brand power and, and things, but if she was, a if she was unknown, she, you know, and that's the thing, it's not merit based, it's power based. So if you have power, if you're, back a, to if you're it. a big deal, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's end this on a positive note because that's some heavy stuff and you gave me a lot to think about. It's very chilling uh, what you shared about about the aesthetic portion of it. Um, is Who are two or three women artists that you wish, you, if you could, you'd give them a big stage moment? Big stage moment is you decide what that means, um, whether that's, you know, they're on a concert stage or they're on some big podcast or a morning, you know, a, a, a and one of the talk shows at night or whatever, like who are two or three artists that you'd like to promote? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to answer this too. And then I'm going to put their links both to their 
their music and their and their social media profiles in the show notes so that we can give them a boost. Awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, yes. Oh, always good news about on that front. Uh, the first woman that I'm going to uh, point out is Amethyst Jonquil. And wow. she is Horizon Music's uh, rising star of 2023. She won an award this year. And, uh, you know, I call her the thinking girls musician. She's a singer songwriter. She plays guitar and ukulele. And her lyrics are poetic. They're very thoughtful, very deep. And um, it, her her stylings are extremely Joni Mitchell. I'll say influenced. I don't. I can't say for a fact that that is her influence, but it's along that genre. And so, if you like Joni Mitchell and those types of musical stylings, she's eighteen. Wow. And she's spectacular. I think she's going to have big moment. I think she, you'll see her in a lot of listening rooms across the country. Um, a lot of Americana station, uh, stages. Kerrville, hello. This is your girl. <laughs> Bring her on. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about her. And then the the second one that I would say is an, uh, a Hispanic, a female Hispanic power trio. And okay. they are called the Tierras, they're sisters. And okay. they're a combination of like great rock guitar solos and Latin music and reggae kind of all rolled up in one. Oh, wow. They are okay. fun. They are dance crazy people. They're young. Um, and their energy is just electric. They light up a room. So if you get a chance to see the Tierras do it, I foresee them on the Tito's stage at ACL next year. Great. Awesome. Any others? Oh, those are my big ones. Uh, let's uh, see okay. here. My third. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you want. Um, my third one. Uh, gosh, I have so many women that I love. Her name is Karina Reichman. Now the first two I told you about are actually out of uh, Austin, central Texas. The third okay. one is uh, from New York. She's a New Yorker. And uh, her name is Karina Reichman. And I think now she's maybe 25. Uh, but when I first met her, she was 21. And uh, mm. she is a bass player and a singer songwriter and leader of a trio that has been touring. Uh, she previously played bass for Marco Benevento. Uh, mm. She's fun, upbeat, hell of a bass player. And, uh, and just an infectious energy. Everybody gets excited when Karina's on stage and she's part of that whole jam band scene. So if you like uh, that kind of jam band scene and like to dance your booty off, uh, go see Karina Reichman. She's awesome. Great. Great. A uh, fun three artists. I did not know. So that makes me happy. I can't wait to listen to them, especially the second one. I assume they do a bunch of stuff in Spanish language. Is that correct? Uh, uh, they do some. They yeah. do both. They're, you know, okay. they go back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a, you know, my Virginia, my wife is uh Latina. So we we're all, I'm always in search of music um, to, for us to listen to that's along those lines. Um, so my, my three um, again, this is a long list that I difficult, had a difficult time winnowing down, but I'm going to go with these three. The first one is an Austin based artist that I actually know not well, but I consider her a friend and that's Nat price, Natalie price. Um, uh, the thing that that's I love about her is she she's got a great voice, of course, but she is such a masterful songwriter. And 
um, that, and she also is a, she's very generous. So she, she really contributes back into the music business in, uh, you know, up with other Austin artists. And I think she has a marketing background and she'll help other artists with, you know, that maybe would be considered competitors for lack of a better term, market themselves. And, um, her, just her, her lyrics touch me, uh, deeply. Um, the second one is a, another Texas-based artist who's now lives in Nashville, and she's getting some, and these are kind of escalation of famousness, but she's getting some play, um, and her her new EP is uh, very acclaimed, and that's Caitlin Butts. Uh, Caitlin Butts is a Texas country red dirt singer. She's married to Clayto Cardero of Flatland Calvary, so if you listen to Flatland Calvary's music, you'll hear often her harmonizing. Um, but she is a phenomenal songwriter. Like, and she's got this voice that doesn't, and this is a thing in country music, it's hard to pull off is she doesn't sound like anybody else. Um, and I think that is, that's what makes her so unique. And I really deem her like the next queen of Texas country. Um, because of that, because of her, her, the power of her voice, she's got a little June Carter energy to her. Um, a little bit of Dolly, a little bit of a, um, a little bit of Reba, but this voice that's super, I mean, powerful and a hell of a songwriter. She's great at writing revenge songs. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other one is she's successful in the music business, but most people don't know her. And that's Lori McKenna. Um, Lori McKenna's her, um, most popular song that somebody else covered that, you know, is uh humble and kind which is um one of probably my top five favorite songs of all time and she's a very prolific songwriter country music mostly interestingly she's from massachusetts she lives in massachusetts and then goes to nashville to write and you know hundreds dozens and dozens of songs she's written have made you know the the charts but most people don't know who she is Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things about country music which is my preferred genre is that so much of the music is written by someone else in, especially in like radio country that people will say, well, that's a Morgan Wallen song. I was like, all right, no, it's not. It's a Jason Isbell song that Morgan Wallen covered. And thank goodness for that, because that makes Jason Isbell money. Right. Or um, Gulf Moon by Kenny Chesney is a John Bauman song. And so she's a, so she's an example of, of, to me, of someone that is a singer songwriter that deserves a lot more publicity with both the message of her lyrics and just who she is as an artist. So mm. I love it. Well, you know, I've written all these down because now I'm going to talk to my social media coordinators about making sure that they promote them as yes. Justin picks. <laughs> Sweet. Well, this was uh, um, enlightening and stimulating. And I think an important conversation. Uh, I'm so impressed and supportive of the work you're doing out there. Um if someone wants to contribute to the foundation, what, what's the best way to do that? What do you most need from people? What's your ask? Our ask is at this point, cash. Um, you know, the pandemic really set us back. And as I tell everybody with my timing, you know, I ended up uh, right. starting a nonprofit eight months before an international pandemic. Uh, but yes, so they can go to horizonmusic.org and that's spelled H E R I Z O N music.org. Yep. And all, and if you click on the donate button, all the different ways that you can donate are right there. Great. I'll link specifically to that button as well. So 
Thank you. Awesome. This was great. Thank you so much for your time and for the conversation. Thank you, Justin. This was a pleasure. And I hope to uh, visit and chat with you again soon. Thank you.